This is Jim Colburn of Commodity Research Group. I'm here with Andy LeBeau, also of Commodity Research Group, with another episode of Energy Markets. You can learn more about us and our consulting group at commodityresearchgroup.com. Our disclaimer is that our podcast should be construed as market commentary, merely observing economic, political, and market conditions, and is not intended to refer or endorse any particular trading system, strategy, or recommendation. We are not responsible for trading decisions taken by anyone, especially those not intended to listen. Information is not guaranteed to be accurate. This is not an offer to buy or sell any derivative. Today, we are very pleased to have a special guest, Dominic Proctor. Dominic has spent the last 10 years as the manager of financial trading at Suncor Energy, and before that, almost nine years at Nexon. He is recently retired. Welcome, Dominic. Thanks, Jim. Andy LeBeau is also here. I'm going to turn it over to Andy with his, uh, with his first uh, questions for Dominic. Okay. Thanks, Jim. And uh, good morning, everybody. Dominic, I think I've known you for all those 19 years, so it's really a pleasure to have you on our uh, podcast this morning as we talk about uh, what's going on in uh, Canada, which uh, obviously is, is very important to the overall supply and demand for uh, North America and globally as well. So the, the first question I wanted to ask you, Dominic, is U.S. production has exploded in uh, the last two years. Last year, we were up 1.5 million barrels a day on, uh, on crude alone. But Canada has last year grew, I think, 200,000 barrels a day on, uh, on crude production. Why such a disparity in, uh, in North American, in the two North American producers? Yeah, the, the big difference, and you see it somewhat in, in some of the uh, restrictions in the Permian and some of the uh, expenditures there being slowed down. But uh, Canada, as uh, most people in the oil industry know, is uh, landlocked as far as being able to get crude to the market. We, uh, uh, relative to how the United States has been able to add pipeline capacity to uh, take their crude within the U.S. and, and now uh, to export it, we are, we've been stuck waiting for uh, new projects to come on. And so uh, just with this last year, with the 200,000 uh, barrels a day that uh, we've added, We've kind of hit the wall where uh, we are now got more capacity than we have takeaway capacity, even using rail, which has grown uh, rapidly in, in the past year. The, and, and let's talk a little bit about, well, well first off, Canada too, US, U.S. production has grown as a result, of course, of, of the shale revolution. Canada has, um, I guess, three, three separate types of crude production, the, sand, the oil sands, conventional and, and offshore. Do you think that, that Canada would still have the takeaway capacity issues? You, th- you think Canada could grow quite as quickly as U.S. production? Uh, it definitely wouldn't be as much, but uh, we, we do have huge reserves in the oil sands but I, I don't know if, if we'll ever be able to fully uh, exploit that given the huge 
boom in shale oil because shale oil is uh, more economic. And I mean, it's, it's grown. I, I remember, and I'm sure uh, you and Jim remember as well, back in 2008, uh, where prices, WTI was running up towards $150. And uh, all the talk was about peak oil. And I was just looking at an old article that was saying 50 of the 70 oil producing countries had already reached peak oil. And since then, that was, that was the low point. I think U.S. was producing 5 million barrels a day at that point. And so I think, I think is the U.S. now approaching 12 million a day? Yeah. Pre- yeah. 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 So it, the, the sh- shale and, and most of that growth has been in the shale, whereas you know, 80% of the growth in Canada has been in the oil sands. So it's, it's definitely different resources, different cost structures. So... Canada definitely doesn't have the same growth profile right now. And, and that's not to say that uh, some shale resources may be discovered and exploited in Canada with time, but we don't have the transport for, for those resources either. Dominic, a lot. Oh, go ahead, Jim. Sorry. I was, I was just going to ask you uh, about the uh, basis. Um, your, your crude oil, does it trade off of? The, the Cushing price, how does that, what's, basically my question is what's, what's the price that um, we look at that producers receive? Yeah, the, the pri- primary uh, oil stream in Canada is the Western Canada Select, uh, which does price off of a uh, WTI differential. Now that, took a look at that, and o- over the last 10 years, that differential's averaged uh, $17 below WTI. Uh, at Hardesty, Alberta, and give, given that it's ballooned out a couple of times, I, I would I would say the kind of the median price of that has been about fifteen dollars below WTI. So it's it's a lower grade. It's a heavy, similar to uh, Maya and some of the uh, California heavies with its nice. qualities. Uh, right now, that has uh, rallied up to uh, a differential of less than ten dollars. But last fall, last October, I think it traded as wide as uh, $50 below WTI. When WTI was running up towards $75 a barrel, the Western Canada Select was not running up at all. It was mired. And that was the result of the uh, bottlenecks in production. Also, at at that point, I think we had some of the larger Midwest uh, refineries uh, in turnaround, which just compounded. So it was 50 under. If you're a, a Canadian producer, h- how do you hedge 50 under? Well, at, at, at that point, um, you're not going to hedge in that differential, but you can, can hedge the uh, piece, the uh, exposure to the WTI price. So what I, I, I would do at that point is probably lock in the WTI piece of it, the exposure and leave the differential to float. I, I wouldn't lock in the differential unless it was around that uh, long-term norm of 15 or, I mean, right, right now, and I mean, the, right now the uh, February uh, production is trading below uh, a differential of, of $10, but I think that was probably widens out, out on the forward curve. I don't think anyone expects the differential to uh, trade at this level. 
because one, one thing when uh, the Canadian crude trading is close to WTI, it'll result in some demand destruction. The refineries will be able to find uh, crudes available that uh, enable them to uh, produce uh, at a higher margin. And so they'll shift their uh, refinery slate uh, away from some of the Canadian heavies to other crudes that are available. The, when the differential was minus 50, and, and which meant that crude was, the Canadian crude was, was 25, I, th- I think it, actually, it, it sparked some action by the uh, Canadian government. Can, can you talk a little bit about, about the curtailments and, and how you see that uh, shaking out? Yeah, uh, what the uh, Alberta government did at, at that point is they came out with a uh, plan to cut 325,000 barrels a day from Alberta production. The, some of the details of the plan uh, is that it uh, limited to just the companies that were producing more than 10,000 barrels a day. So it just impacts the 25 biggest uh, companies producing in Alberta. Overall, it's an 8.7% cut to Alberta production. So for those 25 companies, it may be you know, in the ballpark of 10% cut. For this month, for January, it's based on the six highest months of production in the 12 months between uh, November 2017 and October uh, 2018. So that, you know, had some, it it probably has some unintended consequences. You know, I can see three groups that are hurt with this. You know, it it hurt companies uh, that have the uh, refineries, both in Western Canada and in the uh, Midwest U.S., you know, the Pad 2 area, mm-hmm. because the, the, uh, everyone at that point were clamoring to run as much Canadian heavy as they could, but definitely the, the profits of refining were hurt by that. It hurts producers that were ramping up production, those that were growing through 2018. And, I mean, the province wants people to be investing in growing production, but uh, those are the ones that got hit the worst as they're getting scaled back, not from their capacity level at the end of 2018, but from their average over their highest six months of the year. And it hurts uh, companies that had sufficient transportation to move the crude. If you had uh, space and capacity to get that uh, crude to uh, refiners or down to the Gulf Coast, you you definitely suffered a, a loss by not being able to ship to those markets that were paying higher prices for the for the crude. Um, One thing that the government has done to uh, somewhat rectify the uh, problem of impacting the producers that have been growing is beginning in February, they're changing it from a six-month average to your highest single month of production. Mm -hmm. So so that that is a big step. So the the government is listening to what people are saying and, and trying to uh, mitigate the unintended consequences of uh, some of that, of, of this decision. Do you think it'll be extended to uh, the second half of this year? 
Well, I, I think one thing the government has said is that uh, at that point, the storage level in Alberta had reached 35 million barrels, which is kind of twice the uh, required operating capacity. And the plan is to reduce that amount back, back to more normal levels. And then I think that they plan through the end of the year to maintain a smaller cut of about 95,000 barrels a day. Ah. That should, should uh, uh, allow us to, to operate at a balance, which I would expect should see the uh, WCS differential move back towards that normal range of somewhere around $15 below WTI. Well, let, let's, uh, let's talk about the, the, the biggest issue, uh, the, and you've mentioned it a number of times so far, and that is takeaway capacity. There are basically, I, I think, three big projects still, still on the boards to add takeaway capacity. Can you, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, there's uh, three, three pipelines that will move, do a lot to uh, help this problem. The first one's Enbridge Line 3 expansion. Line 3 is, is a pipeline that uh, built in 1967 that moves a lot of uh, crew down into uh, Superior, Wisconsin, out of Alberta. It, they're going to put in an expansion that will add about 375,000 barrels a day of capacity, you know, in, in large part replacing an older line that uh, is no longer able to transport as much as it did while it was new. And that's one of the things with the, the requirement for these new lines. A lot of the existing infrastructure is, is getting old and you want to uh, put in new stuff that, that is less likely to, to suffer leaks and cause environmental problems. That, that one is uh, right now scheduled to uh, come online by the end of this year. It, it still will be facing legal challenges from environmental groups uh, in the states that it, it travels through. But it, it, right now, it doesn't look like anything's holding that back from completing on time. The other two pipelines are a little longer time frame. Uh, Keystone XL, which is uh, intended to flow down towards the uh, to Cushing and then down to the Gulf of, connect with lines that lead to the Gulf of Mexico. Right now is expected to be online in 2022 and add 830 a day of uh, export capacity. That line was first proposed in 2008, <laughs> approved in 2010, and uh, different, you know, under the uh, Obama administration, uh, that was that line was stopped for a time, and uh, under the Trump administration, it's now been approved again. But it's still taking uh, an extremely long time to pass all the uh, hurdles it, it takes to get a line built. And I was comparing that to the uh, Dakota Access Pipeline, which was uh, first proposed in 2014. And even though it, it faced some uh, environmental protests as well, it was flowing by 2017. So just, just the speed with which the uh, United States within the country is able to get uh, pipes going 
just is so much better than, than what we're able to do in Canada. The third one that's in the news a lot here is the uh, Trans Mountain expansion. It'll add another 590,000 barrels a day and uh, head from Edmonton, Alberta, uh, out to uh, Vancouver, British Columbia. Right now, uh, the uh, Federal Corps of Appeal here in Canada ordered a new uh, National Energy Board environmental assessment to consider the impact of tanker traffic on uh, the wildlife on, on the coast, as well as ordering uh, meaningful consultation with the Indigenous groups uh, along the, the pipeline's path. Those reports are due on uh, February, by February 22nd, 2019. And so um, at that time, we'll have a little more clarity with uh, how that pipeline's moving forward. That, the uh, Trans Mountain Pipeline was bought by the uh, federal government last year for $4.5 billion when uh, legislative issues uh, kind of kiboshed the planned expansion at, at that time. So the federal government stepped in to, to try to make sure that this happens. And just the way things seem to, to be working here, it almost seems like any pipelines going forward, uh, any any new ones after these three might have to be run by uh, or initiated by the federal government just to have the wherewithal to take as much time as it takes. That line's now also expected uh, sometime, probably late 2022, to be completed. Dominic, just, just a quick side note. I noticed that your uh, central uh, bank mentions oil prices as a reason not to raise rates and it's just interesting to me how important uh oil and the, and the prices to the economy in, in the u.s they're always looking at a inflation measure with uh and energy and food prices removed from it so i thought that was kind of interesting and now the federal government's getting into the pipeline business it just um you know shows you how important uh oil is to your economy yeah it, it definitely is a huge uh export for the uh country and uh, ha has been for years. It's interesting that the United States, as it now approaches, um, you know, a approximate parity where it's producing as, as much as it's consuming, uh, it'd be interesting to see if the, uh, the view on prices in, in the U.S. changes that it's, it's not as much a, a problem when prices rise because it'll be a boon to the economy, to segments of the economy there as well. Yes, I, th I think if you look in the past, the uh, many of our recessions are preceded by rising uh, prices in, in crude, and it would be interesting that if a recession is preceded by a big decline in crude, I, you know, we'll see. We'll see. It's it's definitely uh, change going forward. Uh, Dominic, just real quickly, who who is the U.S.'s biggest um, import? Who do we import the most crude from? It's Canada, right? It's Canada, but yeah, but by, by a wide right, margin. Right. Yeah, by a wide margin. Virtually all of Canada's exports, which is about 3 million barrels a day, is going, going to the States. And Canada is also uh, a, big, a big customer of, of the U.S., of, uh, of diluent end products that yes. uh, flow from uh, the U.S. In, into, uh, into Canada. So, yes. um, you know, what, what's happening in Canada is, is, is critical, uh, as I said earlier, to North American uh, supply, and, supply and demand. Um, 
Good point, Andy. I mean, when, when um, it was it back in 2008 when the uh, Canadian pipeline came into Cushing and caused help, help contribute to the super contango. Um, we had a huge uh, uh, building of storage in, in Cushing. Is it, are you seeing, seeing that as well up in Canada? The, 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 I mean, it's WCS uh, uh, in, in contango right now on a, you know, the, 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 curve itself does it trade much can you talk about that a little bit like what what incentives are you starting to build more refineries to take advantage of the low oil prices what's what's the, uh, well, right yeah sorry go ahead sorry um it it uh, probably would have been um, more feasible if we saw this long term the actually it, it was the uh, after the alberta government came out restricting production a week after that they came out and and asked for a request for a proposal for new refineries and as i said one of the big areas of the business that was hit by their decision is the refining because at you know at 30 or or 50 well clearly at 50 the refineries are, are making money any of them that are able to uh, uh, process the heavy oil but now that that has come back down, they're, they're uh, very hard for the refineries to be uh, operating at a profit, any that, that process the heavy oil that, that we produce. And we already have sufficient production of products for the domestic market. So if, if we are to build more refineries, we have to build uh, takeaway capacity for the products. So, so it really just, just moves the problem from one transportation area to another one way or the other we'll have to get the the oil or its products um, out of the local area what in terms of um politics what we were talking earlier and and you, and you came up with a, a interesting statistic on the number of people that now support pipelines uh, yeah there was really, a really really surprised me yeah, there, there was a uh, poll that was just out uh, this morning here in Canada that uh, it was a national poll and 60% of uh, Canadians, you know, support and, and view, view it as a crisis if we're not able to add more takeaway capacity. Every, every province other than Quebec viewed it as uh, a necessary thing for the country. So, so de definitely there's uh, a building consensus that we need this to help the overall Canadian economy. Uh, we really are stifling this segment of, of our economy right now because we don't have that takeaway capacity. Well, if these three pipelines are built, uh, given some of this, the, what you had said, it looks like it's about 1.8 million barrels a day of, of additional capacity, which should help to match or correct me if I'm wrong, should, should help to help to match the um, growth in, in production over the next 10 years, maybe? Yeah, it, it definitely puts us in a position to uh, allow us to continue to grow our resources. I think out, out as far as 2035, I think is as far as there's an organization here known as CAP, the Canadian Association of Petroleum Producers, that uh, forecasts out the 
uh, ability to grow production or the expected growth in production. And uh, I think at that, I think they have us growing. Um, I don't have the number here in front of me, but off the top of my head, I'm, I'm thinking probably to uh, 6 million barrels of production a day by then. So by 2035, we may acquire an additional one, but probably well into the 2020s, mm-hmm. uh, if we get these three pipes online, uh, we'll be in good shape. The other thing that we have done uh, in Canada to uh, help alleviate the, the problem is add more uh, crude by rail. Just looking at the, uh, the last time that we were trading prior to 2018, uh, back at fourth quarter of 2013 and through 2014, uh, we are trading at quite a discount to uh, WTI and transportation by rail at that time increased by uh, up to 150,000 barrels a day. The nice thing about rail is that uh, those cars can be used, kind of transported anywhere where they're needed in, in North America. Once the oil prices uh, came off towards the, the end of 2014, the differential shrank, mostly because WTI got a whole lot cheaper. And so the uh, use of rail in Canada dropped back below 100,000 barrels a day in 20, by 2016. But uh, last year, by second quarter, 200,000 barrels a day. By the fourth quarter, we were transporting 300,000 barrels a day. So... It, it, 200, 200 now? Three, 300. 300. Yeah. Huh? By, is, by it, the end, is all that by going the end. into, sorry, is, is all that going into pad two or is it finding its way to Eastern refineries as well? Um, I, I, I think the Eastern refineries, uh, actually, I, I'm not sure if, if I, I think most of it's going down to uh, uh, the coast where they're really set up you know the gulf coast where they're set up to run heavies so quite a bit of the uh, stuff by rail is going there and i'm not sure if some of them going to pad two or as well or not um since since i've been uh retired i'm not quite as on top of that as as been in the past Mm -hmm. but uh we're now going to be seeing this amount Another unintended consequence of the uh, cutting the production and causing the uh, differentials to tighten up is that this this crude is uh, less appealing to a lot of the refineries. And so we'll be uh, seeing that rail amount uh, come off here at the start of 2019. Of course, we won't see those numbers for a couple of months, what, what they're producing, uh, what they're transporting. But that's going to come down from where we were in the fourth quarter, certainly. It's, and, and I have to say, you know, on, on the positive side, the curtailment uh, of production has achieved what the government wanted as far as improving the prices. You know, it, we would definitely be trading well north of $20 a barrel discount uh, right now. I. I, I think the 50 was, was a, a momentary blip, but I could see it trading out between 20 and 30 uh, through this year if we hadn't taken this step. So the amount of uh, money producers are receiving uh, for their crude is significantly uh, better. 
than uh, what we would have. And so the government will be receiving uh, better royalty payments as well. So th- there is definitely a uh, positive to the uh, actions of the government. I just, you know, it's, it's unfortunate that it's, it's come to this because it'd be much, much better if we were able to get the uh, pipelines built on a timely basis and uh, receive that, those market prices without uh, this step. You know, the, there's definitely a, a lot of ironies there, Dominic, you know, that, that uh, the, the rails are going to the, to the coast where, where there was so much. I think um, the, the rails are going to the coast and uh, – that's where a lot of the, um, how, can, how can we put it, all of the environmentalists were, were uh, up in arms over, over the, uh, some of the projects that, that were proposed. Yeah, yeah well, that is, I mean, I, I heard a clip of our uh, prime minister on, on the radio. He was talking to a town hall meeting uh, somewhere in Ontario, and he was saying, you know, it, it's, it's obvious that, you know, shipping crude by rail is less good for the environment because it, it burns a lot more fuel to transport it. And it, it's more dangerous that, you know, it, it heads through populated areas and accidents can happen. It, it's, you know, our, our government recognizes that the, the safer, more environmentally prudent way of transporting is, is by pipeline. It's just just tough to get it done. It's also ironic, of course, is that uh, now our government is talking about uh, putting oil sanctions on, on Venezuela, and uh, the, the heavier Canadian crude is, is a perfect substitute uh, for some of the Venezuelan crude, and uh, you know it's going to become harder and harder for, for, or has become harder for us to uh, source that crude here. It is, and, and uh, mentioning the Venezuela thing uh, just reminds me of another reason why the Trans Mountain Pipeline is so important uh, to the Canadian market, because it allows us access to the Asian market, and at some point when uh, Venezuela you know, gets its act together and, and then it has uh, huge heavy oil resources as well, and will be in direct competition with it uh, for those Gulf Coast refineries. Mm-hmm. Uh, so definitely having a second market that uh, we can sell to is hugely important for us strategically just to ensure that we're, we're getting the best prices available. Well, I, th- I think we're going to stop it there. Uh, Jim, it doesn't... I think we'll do another podcast. Right, this is great. Uh, this is this has been so great, Dominic. Uh, let's, really let's, appreciate you you spending the time with us. And, uh, you know, uh, it was just uh, terrific. Thank thank you so much. My pleasure. Always great uh, great to talk to both of you. We want to thank our guest Dominic Proctor for. Uh, uh, tremendous job on the Canadian oil situation. And uh, if you're looking for more information, please reach out to us on the web at uh, www.commodityresearchgroup.com. My email is alebow, A-L-E-B-O-W, at commodityresearchgroup.com.
com and Jim's is Jim Colburn, J. Colburn, C-O-L-B-U-R-N at commodityresearchgroup.com. And uh, we'll be doing a uh, our monthly uh, probably early next week or, or midweek. Thank you very much.